Hey y'all, you're listening to the Faith Church Sermon Podcast. We are so excited that you're connecting with us today. It is our desire for you to grow as a result of the resources we provide here. We pray that this blesses you today as you seek to know Him more. Most of us have watched those home renovation shows. I love them, right? Where like the property looks like it's just an absolute wreck. It looks like you just bring in a bulldozer and knock it down. But someone with gifted hands and a good eye kind of knows how to rip things out, demo it, pull out the floors, replace the windows, just restructure and rebuild. I think most of us have seen those kind of shows and go, that's really fun to watch something that needs to be torn down, get rebuilt. And we have sort of a category for tearing down and rebuilding, for demoing and renovating. And so last week we started this sermon series talking about how the Bible teaches that there's a season for everything under heaven. Now, there's a time for everything, a season for all things under heaven. And so when we think about homes or cars or properties, tearing something down like a house and rebuilding it is kind of inspiring, right? We kind of look at it and go, that's really cool. That's neat. I can see why the Bible would go, there's a time for demolition and a time for renovation. I get that. I see that. Today, we're going to kind of expand that idea and look at Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse three. So if you have your Bibles, Ecclesiastes three, verse three. If you find the Psalms, go right. You'll find Proverbs, then Ecclesiastes. And if I had one more hour of sleep, I could spell Ecclesiastes. But, you know, like I'm struggling to stay awake. You are definitely gonna struggle to stay awake over these next few minutes. Maybe just think about how to spell Ecclesiastes. That'll keep your mind going. The word Ecclesiastes just means teacher. It's the teacher speaking. And Solomon is writing these words in the Bible for us to learn wisdom. Solomon is the wisest king, the Bible says, that ever lived. And he has things to impart to us because he lived a full life, a life of ups and downs, lefts and rights. And he wants us to understand an aspect of wisdom called learn seasons. So last week, Kind of as a review, Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1 says there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. We looked at this word everything, which means everything. It means all. It means complete. But it also means every little thing. That there is a season for everything, big, meta, grand, macro. And there's a season for micro, small, every aspect, detail under heaven, a season activity for us to see life through. And if we could yield to this notion, it helps us. We kind of leaned into, he says, there's a season for everything, a time for everything under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot. There's a time to give birth. There's a time to set down roots. There's a time to uproot and kind of learning again. These seasons, yielding to these seasons helps us as people walking the ups and downs of life. And so what we're leaning into today is the next set of verses, which says, there is a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build. So this time to tear down and time to build, that's that reno part. Like we all got space for renovation, right? Demo a building, rebuild it. We get that. And we all have space for this word. Like we want all our friends and families to be healed. But what the heck is this? Like seriously, I got space for renovation, I got space for demolition, I got space for healing all day long, 
but a time to kill? Like, is Solomon talking figuratively or is he speaking literally? Like, is he saying like, it's Joe, there's a time for you to kill your dreams. There's a time for you to kill your hopes. Does he mean it figuratively like that or does he mean it literally? Like, no, there's a time and a place to kill an animal, to kill a plant, to kill a person. Like, what gives? Really? Is there really under heaven a time to kill? And his answer to us is yes. That when we zoom out and look from God's perspective at humanity, when we set aside our own limitations of seeing things and the own ways we're, we're able to look through sinful eyes, and if we're able to see things as God sees it, there is a time, he says, to kill and a time to heal. And we're gonna lean into that together today, but we need God's help. So would you pray with me? God, your word gives us all kinds of opportunities to think and learn and to grow and to process. So help us now with humble hearts to yield, to see seasons, to understand things from your perspective, to try to see things through your eyes and see things through your perfection. Lord, help us to understand this and grow that we might be like you and we might navigate this world in a way that pleases you. We trust you, we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. So quick review before we get into that. Why yield to seasons? So Solomon tells us that we should yield to seasons. Why should we do that? This is a review from last week. The reason that we should do it is because God is infinite, right? Remember, he's above space and time, and we're anchored to space and time. We're finite. We're connected to a timeline, to a moment. God's outside of time and space. And the reason why he invites us to yield is because he is all-powerful, all-knowing, and outside of our time and space. He is not limited by his view. He's not tainted by sin. He's perfect in all his ways. And David says, my times are in his hands. And throughout the scriptures, we're reminded that his hands are good. Right? And so he holds all things together, and as infinite, all-knowing God, he understands my times and my ups and downs, my lefts and rights. He holds all things together, and he is trustworthy and patient and kind and merciful. And so it, it's an invitation, Solomon is teaching us, to yield to this infinite greatness, to this God who's above time and space, who loved us so much to send Jesus to die on an actual date so that people past and present could have their sins forgiven and life renewed. He gives us moments to trust him and to yield to him and invites us, in my good hands, would you trust me that I can make everything beautiful in its time if you yield to me. So just an, another way of saying this, that Solomon is wanting us to learn the wisdom that seasons are an invitation to yield. It's like God is sovereign, he's in control of all things, and when I recognize that and embrace it and stop fighting it, I actually experience peace. He's inviting us into something peaceful. And I wanna clarify this a little bit more because I think it would be easy to think that yielding to God in this way is like defeatism, 
It's kind of like, well, if God's in control of everything, who cares what I do, right? Kind of deny human responsibility, kind of go, okay, sarah, sarah, whatever will be, will be. I'm just a robot. I'm just a speck of dirt. It doesn't really matter what I do. God is sovereign. That's not it at all. Actually, God is sovereign, infinite, in space and time above all of it. I am anchored to time, but that doesn't get me out of responsibility. He is sovereign, and I'm responsible. I think about driving on 78 in my Jeep, and I see uh, 18-wheelers. Have you noticed they go really fast on 78, especially when the board boundary, like construction zones, right? You feel squeezed. I think of this idea of yielding. Like my Jeep Wrangler, when I yield... We're both going in the same direction. There's a giant truck and my Jeep. We're moving in a direction, we're going somewhere, and when that truck decides to move, who's the superior force? And wisdom isn't going, well, I'm just gonna kinda let this go wherever it goes. Like, no, there's responsibility to kinda align myself, yield to the superior force, and when I do that, I actually find a level of peace versus one little move and I'm done, right? And so in this, God is inviting human responsibility in recognition to who he is as infinite. I am finite. I yield to the infinite and in that I draft behind and he leads the way and he leads me to good things. I think about it in regards to weather. Do you yield to the weather or fight it? I mean, I'm the kind of person, like, if I had something planned and the weather says it's going to rain, I'm going, it's not going to rain. It's not going to rain. It's not raining. It's not. It's actually not raining outside right now. Like, it's pouring, and my wife's like, what are you doing? Like, it's raining. Just because you don't want it to rain doesn't change anything. What do you do with weather? You yield to the weather. You embrace the weather. God is in control over the weather. When you try to fight it, does it change anything? But when you embrace it, you prepare for it, and you might actually jump in puddles and enjoy it. It's the yielding to the infinite, the powerful to the strong. That's not defeatism. It's embracing. It's enjoying. It's trusting and not fighting. That's wisdom, and it's a path to peace. So now let's get back to this troubling verse. Ecclesiastes 3.3 says, There's a time to kill and a time to heal. What does this mean, a time to kill? The Bible's pretty clear, right? Before Solomon writes this, another guy named Moses in Exodus chapter 20 gives the 10 commandment, you know, the big 10, and the sixth one says, you shall not murder, right? God commands us to not murder, and now Solomon says there's a time to kill. Is there a contradiction here? And here's how it explained that. All murder is killing but not all killing is murder. Check it out, look at it, it's not a tongue twister. All murder is killing, but not all killing is murder. What makes murder different from killing? Jesus teaches us this in Matthew chapter five, verse 21, he says, you've heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Jesus is connecting an act of murder with something inward going on into our anger. He says that our hearts are angry and that anger leads to murder, to sin. The word anger Jesus uses is vengeful, passionate, hating, impulsive behavior that's full of wrath. When you get so angry, so 
angry and hurtful at injustice and you start raging, that's a sin inside your heart and that sin inside leads to murder outside. So for 99.9% of us, we will never actually commit a physical murder. But Jesus' standard says all of you on the inside have hated have been angry, vengeful, wrathful. You've used your words to kill people. You've murdered with slander and gossip. Compared to God's perfect standard, we have destroyed people in our minds, in our hearts, that murder is taking a life in rage, in wrath, in revenge. But this isn't what Solomon is talking about when he says this here about seasons, he's not talking about murder and he's not undermining the teaching of the Bible from beginning to end about not taking a life in anger and hatred and revenge. But it's not what he's talking about. So if we can kind of separate these things out, he's not talking about murder, what is he talking about? And let's kind of walk through this. When he says there's a time to kill, what does that mean? And he's inviting us to look beyond our limited eyes, beyond our sort of perspective as humans, to see things from God's vantage point, when God sees things, what does he see? And why would God say in his Bible, there is a time to kill? Let's kind of work through this slowly, sort of unpack it to try to understand it. And we have to start with God. Why is there a time to kill? Because God is love. You might go, what? Like, just, just stick with me. God is love. That God has existed for all eternity with himself in a union of love. That God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit shares love together for all eternity, from eternity passes, and they don't need anything. They love one another and share love with each other for all time and space. Why is there a time to kill? Because God is love. And in love, God gives life. Like, God didn't have to make this world. He chose it to express his love. As an expression of love, he goes, I will create birds and animals and plants and seas and rivers, and I will create humans in my image. Sort of the pinnacle of creation is God creating man and woman in his image. In his love, he creates and gives life, and he gives that life freedom. He says, Adam and Eve, I'll put you in the garden, and there's all kinds of things to eat in this garden. There's two different trees. One is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. One's a tree of life. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Anything else is yours to eat, just don't do that one thing. He gives them life and gives them love and gives them freedom. And what do Adam and Eve do? They do the one thing that he says not to do. They eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And now God says, I don't trust you. In my love, I gave you life. And now you have no longer access to the tree of life. You're separated from that. There's a time to kill. And the Bible says the wages of sin, that rebellion against God, that if Adam and Eve hadn't have done it, we would have, you would have. Don't eat from that one tree, I would have done it all day long. But in that, it says the wages of sin is death, the Bible teaches. There's a time to kill. So in love, God gives life, and in love, God takes life. And none of that's murder, that's not revenge, it's not anger, it's not impulsive. It's God saying, I give life, and in love I take life. Probably the best place to see this in the Bible, if you haven't read the book of Job, I'd encourage you, Old Testament book known as the oldest book in the Bible. There's a guy named Job, and the seasons of Job's life are interesting. One season of Job's life in the beginning of the book of 
Job, it says he's the most righteous man on planet Earth. He's wealthy, he's healthy, he's got a huge family, everything's going great for him in a season, and then in another season, God changes everything on him and tests everything, and he loses his wealth, he loses his health, he loses his family in a moment. And what he says in Job chapter one is so helpful to me. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. There's a time to kill and a time to heal. God gives and God takes away. Do you see in what Job is doing here, his yielding to God's sovereignty, his yielding to God's, he can't fight it, but he can choose to yield it. And with Job, he actually teaches me here. He says, now may the name of the Lord be praised. He's doing more than just yielding and going, I guess this is really hard. I gotta deal with it. I, God's chose to do this. My life was great and now it's terrible. What should I do? He says, I'm gonna praise the Lord. He's got much more faith than I do because I'd be like, I wanna curse the Lord, right? That's our natural human. He says, the Lord gave and the Lord take away. And this makes me, brings me back. It makes me think of the next verse after this. He says, in all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Have you ever charged God with wrongdoing? Where you see a season of life where everything's going well and then all of a sudden things aren't going well and all of a sudden you're accusing God of wrongdoing? I think it's pretty natural. I would. But in this, Job is modeling for us something that's so important about seasons and about the character of God. So why is there a time to kill? We go back to this sort of list. God is love in everything he does. In his love, he gives life. And in his love, he takes life. And in every part of who he is, he's just. And to the standard of justice. There's no separating out. It's not like, well, he's loving in this moment and he's just in this moment and there's a line between the two. No, he's both all the time. He's both loving and just all the time. Every moment, every second, every activity under heaven and earth, he is loving and just. No spot that we can separate that out and go, well, that's his love and that's his justice. No, intricately to wind together. I love how Revelation puts this. Revelation chapter 15, John's writing at the end of the scriptures, right? So you see this in the beginning and the end of the Bible. He says in Revelations 15, three, great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy, perfect, without sin. For you alone are perfect without sin. All nations will come and worship before you for your righteous, perfect, you always do the right thing for, to everyone in every situation. For your righteous acts have been revealed. He's saying every aspect of God's character. There's not one time where you can go, well, that's love and that's justice. You know what, when he does that, that's justice and not love. You know, when he does that, that's love and not justice. No, it all comes together in the person and the work of Christ. And if you wanna see it, look at the cross. Both his love and justice side by side together, crucifying his son to be loving and just and give us life. Solomon is encouraging us to see that in the seasons of life, there's a time to be born and a time to die. There are seasons for God to give life and seasons for God to take life. This is hard, isn't it? Like as humans that are finite, can we just, 
Can we just like stop here and go, this is hard. It's hard for us to get our minds around that. My finite mind, my sinful mind doesn't understand how that works. And maybe you find yourself right now in a season where you're like, I, I wanna have children and I can't, we're infertile. Maybe, maybe you've lost a child. Maybe you've had a stillborn. Maybe you've had a miscarriage. Maybe you lost a child at a young age. Maybe you lost a loved one recently. It's just rocked your world. It's like, how could this happen? How could God give and then take away? And this is what we learn from the Bible. My finite mind can't understand how that can be. And so I grieve, right? I struggle. I wrestle. I feel. There's nothing wrong with grieving and wrestling and feeling and wondering and questioning. Because how, how can we not? Life is precious. There's a time to be born and a time to die. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Job teaches me to say, blessed be the name of the Lord, that you are just and true in all your ways, king of the nations, holy and righteous in everything you do under heaven. And you promise to make all of this beautiful in your time. I don't know how. I'm not sure how you're gonna do that, but I trust you. I'm gonna yield to you. You are infinite, loving, and just in all your ways, and I'm just a Jeep Wrangler. I'm gonna yield to you. You're strong and good, and I'm gonna follow behind you. You're the king of the weather. You know snow and rain and wind and sun, and I trust you. I yield to you. I don't understand. I don't have to understand. I'll weep. I'll cry. I'll question, but I won't curse you. I'll weep. I'll cry. I'll question, but I won't accuse you of being unjust or unfaithful. I'll line up behind you. Would you clear away to the day you make it beautiful and when I can see it again and the sun comes out in your time? And I think for most of us, I think we could, we could at least try to get our minds around the fact that God is perfectly loving and just in all his ways, right? It might be hard, but we can get our minds around, okay, God could take life and heal life, but what about humans? Does this mean there's a season for humans to kill and heal? And the answer is yes. If God is both loving and just and gives life and takes life, then those who are created in his image, we also have a time to kill and a time to heal, and this is taught throughout the Bible, but the best example I could give you is the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah. God has loved his people. He's shown great love towards the people of Israel, has provided for them, protected them, and said, just follow me, just trust me, just walk with me. And they said, we'll trust you, God. We'll walk with you. We'll follow you. And then they've rebelled against God over and over and over again. And God has gotten to the point where his love and justice, he goes, I have to discipline you because you keep rebelling against me. And he raises up a prophet named Jeremiah and gives him a difficult assignment. Chapter one, verse nine, he says, I have put my words in your mouth, Jeremiah. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and to overthrow to build and to plant. He's inviting Jeremiah to be an agent of love and justice towards the nation of Israel. Later on in Jeremiah 15, God gets to a point where he's, the rebellion is, is great. So he says to them, send them away from my presence. Let them go. And if they ask, where shall we go? Tell them. This is what the Lord says. Those destined for death to death. Those for the sword to the sword. Those for starvation to starvation. 
those for captivity to captivity. I will send four kinds of destroyers against them, declares the Lord, the sword to kill and the dogs to drag away and the birds and the wild animals to devour and to destroy. And that sounds so foreign to us because we just have this image that God is just love, but he is both loving and just in all his ways. And when he does this, it's not murderous or angry or impulsive. It's love. And so he uses all of creation and he uses humans to carry out love and justice under heaven. And that's why Solomon can say, under heaven there's a time for humans to kill and a time to heal. A time for us to tear down and a time for us to rebuild. What does all this mean practically? So I'm wrestling with this. Like, wouldn't it be great for me to just do a little sermon about renovation? Like, why does it have to get like this? It's like, because this is the truth. And the only reason there's renovation is because there's a time to kill and a time to heal. And what do we do with this? We could, we could take this in a hundred directions. As I wrestle with this, there's so many different ways this intersects our lives. So I just said to God this week, like, what do you want to say to your sons and daughters at Faith Church about this truth? I could apply it in a lot of ways. This is what God's laid on my heart to share with you today, that God loves life and so should we. Like in light of this truth, to remind ourselves, to remember that God loves life. Do you love life? Do you celebrate life? Do you live life to the fullest? Do you seize the day? Of all people on earth, Christ followers should rejoice and party and live and celebrate and breathe and enjoy. Do you live life to the fullest? Or are you just, life stinks, all the time negative, right? It's like, really? You have life and breath and God gave it to you? Is your life marked by a love for life? If you're married, do you create life? I read something this week, it was fascinating. It says, now in America today, we own more dogs than kids. Oh, there's a better way of saying that. It says in America today, the average amount of dogs in homes compared to the imagined, because we've bought into the lie that children are a problem instead of being like God and creating life, following the command of God to fill this world with all the difficulties that are here, yes, but there's something about bringing about life that mirrors who he is and it's what he wants us to do is what he made us for. But we've become so fixated on ourselves and I can put my dog in the shelter for a little bit and go do whatever the heck I want and leave them alone for 12 hours and hope they don't poop. But I can't do that with a child. But when we love life, we have dogs and kids. Both, right? And so I look at Faith Church. It's we believe human life at every stage is sacred and it's created in the image of God. We celebrate and protect life from conception to natural death. We care about the homeless. We care about the orphaned. We care about the oppressed. We care about the elderly. We care about life at every stage. Protect it, serve it, love it. That's what it means to be like God. That's loving life. And just thinking about one of the simplest ways to do this is it's about our words. Do you know how powerful our words are? to both give and take life. You know how we'll know about each other whether you love life? 
your words will match loving life. Paul says in Ephesians 4, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for what? For building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. How will I know if you love life? How will you know if I love life? Do my words build up or tear down? Do my social media build up or tear down? When I don't like something, do I build up or tear down? Our words have the power of life and healing or demolition and destruction. We love life by building people up with our words. God loves justice and so should we. He's both loving and just. And as his child, do you see injustices around you? Do you recognize where people are not treated with equality? Do you recognize those areas? Do you do something about it? There's so much controversy over justice and social justice and what is justice in our society. God is just. The Bible teaches justice. So I wanna align my heart to biblical justice and fight for justice for every person to the extent that I don't want justice for everyone, then I'm not being like God. Do you seek justice? Micah 6.8, he has shown you, O mortal, finite being, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with God. I am put on planet earth to seek justice like God, biblical justice. Do you protect and preserve and fight for other people's justice? Certainly one of the applications of this text is that we should seek peace and not death. Is there a time to kill another person on planet earth? Is there a place for self-defense? Yes. Is there a place for a moral society to use lawful means to take a life? Yes. Is there a place for a moral society to go to war? Yes. But each and every circumstance, the child of God wants peace, not blood. In each and every circumstance, the child of God wants peace. So in all these different areas, in our law enforcement, in our military, in self-defense, is it bloodthirsty people or people of peace seeking justice and love for everyone? Romans 12, 18 says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So I'm a man of peace. Are you a woman of peace? Are you a man of peace? Or are you someone who's bloodthirsty? Of course there is extreme examples of killing that are justifiable, but we should be people of peace, seeking peace at every intersection, not people of blood and of death. And last, perhaps most important application that I can encourage you towards when I look at this text as a church family today, that there is something we should kill, and it's deception. That there's all kinds of lies floating around our world, floating in the church, floating in our hearts. We're breathing in lies all the time, and so is our world. And Paul teaches us, 2 Corinthians 10, do your homework on this, 2 Corinthians 10, verses three and five, it's sort of a complex thought, but really important for the follower of Christ. For though we live in the world, he says, we don't wage war as the world does. Interesting. We live in the world, and there's gonna be wars, but we don't wage war as the world does, he says. The weapons we fight with 
are not the weapons of the world. We don't do things the way everyone else does it. There's things to fight. There's things to kill, but we don't do it the way everyone else does it. If I find myself doing it the way everyone else does it, how different am I? I'm not. I'm just like everyone else. But if Christ is in my heart, he says the, white, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Again, do your homework. I can't do this justice right now. But he says, on the contrary, we have the power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and anything that sets itself up against Christ. One of the things I'm doing right now in teaching love and justice together is trying to kill the deception that God is only love or only justice. Setting up this tension that's not true. God is loving and just in all his ways. So we have the responsibility as Christ followers to fight against lies. There's a heck of a lot of lies and deception happening in our society and in the church and in our hearts right now. Are you killing that law, those lies and seeking what is true? Going to God's word and saying what is true is true and I will believe it and follow it. And he says, we don't fight like everyone else. We fight like Jesus fought. How did Jesus fight deception? Did he pick up arms? Did he rant on social media? Did he set up a megaphone and blast people? But with gentleness and grace and truth, Jesus spoke truth. He spoke the good news. He was an agent of peace and good news. He spoke more about what he was for than what he's against. He didn't rant. How do you speak truth. Do you do it in love? And the reason Jesus is able to do it is because he followed this. He took every one of his thoughts and made it captive to his father. He took the truth and applied it to his life and it changed him. And he entrusted himself and the results of his life to God. Here's the truth. I'm going to share it. I'm going to speak it. I'm going to live it. I'm going to serve it. And the results of that truth, God, I trust you with the results of that truth. It's not my job to get results. My job is to be full of grace and truth, gentleness and kindness, self-control. We're called by God to demolish strongholds of deception that are holding people back. And they're everywhere. They're in my heart. They're in your heart. Kill it. The lies that the evil one is using about who you are, kill it. The lies that are spoken in our society about who the human race is and isn't, kill it. Speak the truth, know the truth, tear down lies and build up what's true using words and gentleness and kindness, grace and truth together, taking every captive thought captive to God. It's how we embrace the truth of Christ. There's so much more I could say about this. But I can't encourage you enough to open your Bible to realize that there's all kinds of deception that's happening in our society today. And we have the responsibility and opportunity to know the compass and the anchor of our faith, to know what's worth living and dying for. Jesus shows us how. And so as we kind of conclude today, there are seasons of life and this season teaches us there's an invitation to yield to God's love and justice. 
and experience peace. So last week we looked at how God is infinite and we're finite, and when we yield to his massive nature, we yield to his sovereignty, it gives us peace. But here I would encourage you to see everything that God does as both loving and just, not a separation between them. And if that's true, when we yield to that, there is a time to kill and a time to heal. There is a time to tear down and a time to build up. Because God is loving and just in all his ways, I can walk in that and yield to that and recognize that it can be a person of peace, gentleness, grace, and truth, but I can also yield to the fact that under heaven, there's a lot of things that happen that I can trust him with even when I don't understand. It's okay to not understand. It's not okay. Well, it's okay to not yield to an 18-wheeler, but it's gonna bring you destruction, right? And so in God's love and justice, in his infinite goodness, yield to him and watch the peace and the purpose that's going to come. Would you pray with me? Lord, there's a season for everything. There's a time to be born and a time to die. There's a time to plant and a time to uproot. There's a time to kill and a time to heal. There's a time to tear down and a time to build up. And you promise to make everything beautiful in its time. That there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That all things work for the good of those who trust you and love you and who are called according to your purpose. So we have an amazing amount of responsibility on planet Earth. But we can also experience an amazing amount of peace as we yield to you and trust your infinite goodness your infinite love, your infinite justice. May we be like you, celebrating life, giving life, speaking life, protecting life. May we be like you, promoting justice, protecting justice, serving people. May we be like you, gentle, but willing and courageous to speak the truth in love trusting ourselves and the results of our words and actions to you. That you will make it beautiful in its time, but we don't have to fight with weapons like the world does. We can fight our battles with praise and trust and yielding and love. Make us different, God, and empower us to trust your sovereignty in seasons and find peace that only you can provide through it. In Christ's name, amen.